Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, and this week I will be releasing bite-sized morsels of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast for the listeners, for you listeners, rather than just releasing it all at once. I've got a series of appearances through the week, and the opener is Gav Joshi, all the way from Mumbai in India. Gav, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm well, Manners. Nice to be back on the podcast. Yes, it is Mumbai. It is, um, well, IPL server, and it's bloody hot, and I just really want to, well, to be fair, get out of India and head over for the World Cup. Tell me, is Mumbai just buzzing after the Mumbai Indians won the IPL? I mean, I heard they had like a a street parade and everything. Yeah, Marine Drive, which is the iconic sort of venue over here and the road that stretches right past the sort of Mumbai Harbour. And it's called the Queen's Necklace. Um, if you look from up above, it looks like a necklace. So, And they had an open-top bus and they had... Oh, they must have had close to about a, a million people probably just on the street, a lot of them on their bikes, some of them running adjacent to the bus and the, all the players were sort of up the top, including a couple, well, one of the Aussies, of course, Ben Cutting, who's giving them waves and uh, look, it, it's just terrific atmosphere and Mumbai four-time champions and in the best T20 league of the world, I don't think we can argue with that. Well, Gav, it's great to have you on the podcast again because there's so much bubbling around that I, I want to talk to you about. I I want to talk to you about the IPL. I want to talk to you about the women's IPL. I want to talk to you about India's chances in the World Cup. But but to start things off, you know, there's some element where I think you're really important in that you bridge a gap between Australia and India in your cricket work. You've, you know, you sort of sit in both camps. And, you know, at the moment, there's a bit of a fracture between Cricket Australia and the BCCI about the scheduling of some one-day games for the Australian team in India next summer, Australian summer, that is. So you'll have the Aussie team going away. Why do you think the BCCI was so insistent that Australia come next January? Well, it's all about the BCCI's calendar uh, coming into what they're persevering as their summer. I mean, we've got to remember that Australia has their home summer and we've had it for a long time in December and January and into February now. But prime cricket season in India is also around sort of that October, November, December months. Now, India do, do want to host other teams during that period. That's the peak period for them. And there's certainly been a bit of a clash. And India feel that every time they have to 
travel to Australia or even South Africa or to, in, and even New Zealand to an extent, that they have to give up time on their home season. And to them, the home season, as I said, is you know during the peak hours of our summer. So there's been a clash. And India feel that over time they've been sacrificing their time. And now, given you know their powers and given especially how this sort of November, December, January has been scheduled, that they want Australia to come across in India and they will not be travelling anywhere else. So it's a, it is a power game, but it's also that India believe that, hang on, we've got to flex our muscles here because we want the scheduling absolutely spot on from our end because India is also touring New Zealand a little bit later on and South Africa is also touring India. So it's all about scheduling and the power of the BCCI. And, and do you think there was just a, a general sort of change at the BCCI recently that they really have to try and enforce the schedule from their side of things, regardless of what happens to the Australian summer? Well, um, see, the BCCI currently is is in a mess, if I can say that. It's been run by uh, or administrators, uh, the ones which have been appointed by the Supreme Court. So, and then there's the old sort of the BCCI regime who've got, you know, there's the presidents. And there's a lot of dispute between them. So right now the BCCI is not in the greatest of hands. And there, there's, you know, a divide within the BCCI on who wants to run the game and who wants to be running the game, if I can say that. Um, look, the Australian summer, yes, and things have changed. I mean, Kevin Roberts coming on, it, it's a new bridge, you know, new uh, relations need to be established. But who does he establish that with? I mean, that's the big key issue here. James Sutherland was dealing with the old BCCI regime for a long period of time. Now Kevin Roberts has come on. Does he deal with the COA, which is the Committee of Administrators, or does he uh, sort of deal with the BCCI old functioning guys who are still within the system, but it's the COA who are running the BCCI. I know it's slightly complex manners, but that's just how Indian BCCI political games work. And I think that's what's created a lot of this mess. And of course, you know, whenever the FDP was signed, maybe I think it was might have been sort of 18 to 12 months ago, it stated in there that India will host Australia sometime around that January mark. And that was under the old BCCI regime. What about the um, the women's IPL? The the Australian players weren't included in the Indian teams because of this spat. There was a complicated sort of email chain. But how was the women's IPL um, received over there? Uh, look, I mean, the the audience was pretty good from what I hear from the broadcaster and Star Sports. I mean, definitely a rise from – they only had a solitary game last year, but certainly this year they had three or four, well, four games, including the final, and it was, a, you know, a, a great spectacle. They had really close tussles, and the games were in sort of prime time around 7.30. Last year there was a mistake of playing them at 3 o'clock. Nobody rocked up to the games. Um, this was played in Jaipur, which is – you can call it almost a second Tier city. Um, I would have preferred the game to be played in a Kolkata or a Chennai or a Mumbai, uh, where perhaps the crowd would have been, you know, close to that twenty thousand mark. They still got about five or seven thousand on on one of the nights, which is still really good. But I'll tell you what is uh, impressive is is the amount of interest and the amount of girls around in, in just around Mumbai that are actually playing the game. I mean, I would just in my sphere of the like. 
the clubs and speaking to a couple of the coaches and they said the amount of girls which are participating and they're not even in their own sort of age groups it is also a lot of mixed um, uh, cricket especially at sort of the under 12 and under 13 level which is great to see and he's saying some of these women are exceptional I mean they're, they're batting at you know four um, and even number three so that that's really good sign for Indian cricket that there's genuine interest and parents are willing to push the girls into the game because at the end of a tunnel there are some lucrative sort of contracts if they can be genuine superstars of the game which is terrific to see something that didn't exist maybe sort of five or even ten years ago do you think we'll see an actual women's IPL in the near future to sort of um, match the women's Big Bash League? It's really hard to say, man, is because it's, uh, you know, you need ownership, you need franchises to buy teams. Uh, unless they come under the current franchises, if I can use that, uh, it's going to be really difficult. And, and the duration, I mean, when do they fit them in? Perhaps it's just a two-week tournament. But for now, I, I don't see it immediately. Uh, it's probably still maybe two or sort of three um, years away. I would like to see it happen. I think we're going to see a lot of these more, more of these exhibition games, but probably I think we're still probably two or three years away from the main product. All right, let's turn our attention now to the IPL, Gav. It was won by the Mumbai Indians, their fourth IPL title, and uh, two of the powerhouse teams battling it out in the final with Chennai losing to the Indians in that amazing finish. What was the final like? Oh, look, I mean, it's having covered the IPL for about five years now and having watched it um, in the initial three years or four years, uh, in the 12 seasons, it had to be the best IPL final. It had everything, had the drama, and then it probably wasn't the best game of cricket, but it's just the theatre. It is what IPL is all about. I mean, you had nearly, you know, half, half a billion people sort of tuned in, and, you know, it went right down to the wire, and it's all about tactics and here we are, you know, some of the greatest players playing the game. I mean, and it just shows how, like, it's all about fine margins and MS Dhoni getting run out and, and Shane Watson with his, with his, knee bleeding and hitting the balls all over the place and 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 the the wily Lasith Malinga and the, and the skills of Jasper Bumra at the end so look it it's just phenomenal and i mean anyone listening in in australia who probably doesn't get to watch the ipl that much because of the, the hours that it's on um somebody's the cricket lovers just have to see it come across to india and experience a couple of games because there's still a lot of things in the IPL that could be incorporated into the Big Bash Menace. Um, when that would happen, I'm not sure because, you know, of course, there's a lot more publicity here, a lot more people here, and just the way the game is run is different. But, look, it, one of the great theatres, one of the fantastic IPL matches, uh, T20 matches you will ever get to witness. Well, Gav, I'm planning on coming over to India next IPL season, so hopefully I'll be able to live that dream you talked about. Uh, Australia had two players in the winning IPL franchise so you mentioned Ben Cutting and they also the Mumbai Indians also had Jason Berendorf earlier on in the tournament. 
Harding spent most of the tournament on the bench for the Mumbai Indians. Yeah, he had about, I think, three or four games, but he was a vital part. I mean, there was a chance that he could have even played in the final because they were thinking, you know, just the nature of the pitch. They wanted a sort of a, a fast bowling all-rounder, a basher at the end. Mitchell McLennigan ended up playing. And Jason Berenholf still is a huge part of that that Mumbai mix because right from the start, they always wanted a left armour. And um, as soon as Jason Berendorf finished off the UAE tour, as soon as he landed in Mumbai, he was playing in a couple of days' time. So it shows how important he was because they wanted someone at the start who can swing the ball. So don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he will be part of the setup next season. Uh, Mumbai I really feel he's an integral part going forward. Um, and Ben Cutting, I mean, here he is. I mean, just a couple of seasons ago, you, I'm sure you in the podcast have spoken to him and he talked about that where he was the man of the match of the IPL final. So uh, he truly is, you know, one of these T20 specialists just traveling all around the world. And, well, he's proving to be a lucky charm for a few um, T20 franchises. I'm surprised he didn't play more during the IPL. But, you know, one thing that was interesting for me was that, I don't know if you saw it, but Netflix had a documentary called Cricket Fever that followed the Mumbai Indians last year. So for me, I had the backstory of all these um, Mumbai players and the owners and sort of what goes on behind the scenes from that documentary. So seeing them win was quite satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's remarkable. A lot of these sporting documentaries and all the work that goes on behind the scenes and how it's managed. And I must say that the top down, the approach from the owners all the way down to the players, uh, it's the number one in, in the IPL. I mean, just the way the communication is. Uh, look, there's a other franchises where there is a lot of interference from the owners, um, where, you know, they do have a say about selection and so forth that question the coach and the decision making uh, but here's Mumbai where you know from the top it's basically tell us what you need we'll give it to you but at the end of the day we want success and, uh, fa- and fair to say I mean four IPL titles in seven years they know exactly how these T20 franchises should be run because they are the six most successful um, I- IPL franchise. I'll tell you what stood out for me from this IPL, Gav, was I was worried that, you know, in the shadow of the World Cup, this IPL might not quite have the same luster and the standard might be a bit down. But the fact that 20 games of this IPL went down to the last ball and we had such fantastic cricket throughout the tournament speaks volumes to the strength of the competition, even in a World Cup year with, you know, a few players electing not to go there. Yeah, it was. I mean, he, we probably had about six or seven top quality Australian players who weren't available, and and I think it was thirty two last over finishes. Phenomenal. I mean, Andre Russell was just ginormous. I mean, he's taken his game to another level. I had to, you know people like Jasprit Bumrah. A lot of people thought might be arrested, given as you rightfully said, the World Cup was around the corner. And how would the intensity be? But let me assure you that it was high quality cricket menace. It was just just phenomenal to see. I hope you do come across here next year and watch it from close on because it's just terrific to see. Now, I just want to shoot through quickly now, Gav, the the way the Aussies did over there. So I'm just going to throw a few names at you. Shane Watson, up and down IPL, but came through in the the two finals for the Super Kings. One more year left for him, do you think, in the in the IPL? Yeah, well, in his sort of his finale, he almost said that on social media. 
Uh, I hope to see you guys next year. Um, he's given up a sort of big bash, but I think he'll be around here. I really, he really enjoyed having his family here this year, Manners. I mean, I think his kids and his wife were probably around for maybe about four four weeks of the tournament, and he really enjoyed it. And it was terrific. Like Chennai Super Kings, Donny and Suresh Reiner, and a lot of their kids were mixing with sort of the Wado's kids. And, and I, I think he really enjoyed that culture, and I, I expect him to be back. And I think a lot of the faith shown in him here, he was first five six games he even said it like other franchises would have dropped him but the amount of faith that Donny had in him kept persisting with him um, went on to score you know a 90 odd in, in one match and again leading up to the final his form had tapered off slightly but then uh, he nearly pulled it off so full credit to Shane Watson I think arguably I don't think any other Australian maybe David Warner has really relished playing in the IPL as much as Shane Watson well you mentioned David Warner he was exceptional finished leading run scorer in the IPL my question to you is were Steve Smith and David Warner embraced and forgiven by the IPL supporters yeah I think India just has that mentality I think your your superheroes almost on the field and I don't think India apart from their own back backyard see too much of the opponents as sort of you know what happens off the field yes it was a big you know the ball tampering saga but I think a lot of the crowds really embraced them uh, you just have to look on when Rajasthan played and there's a lot of cheering for Steve Smith I was being at a couple of the games and even when David Warner was doing his practice sessions a lot of fans who were at the asking for selfies and screaming Warner and I, I, don't, I no doubt that India really embraced the two and I think they just in terms of broadcasters and the public and the just cricketing public in general absolutely enjoyed having them in the IPL I think they were really missed and full credit because they I mean Smith you could just sense that he started to get, find his touch at the back end of the tournament he's no doubt hindered by that elbow injury and Warner well as I said, I mean, apart from Shane Watson, he just loves playing in the IPL. Chris Lynn playing for the Kolkata Knight Riders. The Knight Riders fell short of the finals. Chris Lynn seemed to have a, a pretty decent IPL. Yeah, I think people have also worked out where to bowl to Chris Lynn. That's one of the great strengths because you have experts and coaches and analysts from all around the world, so they know exactly how to study a player. Chris Lynn's never going to be that type of guy who in the IPL is going to score 700, 800 runs. He's the impact player. That's the way sort of Kolkata want to use him, you know, even a rapid fire 40 of 20 balls is good enough just the way the KKR play so uh, it probably wasn't his best season but certainly not his worst either and what about uh, Ashton Turner and Andrew Ty well Ashton Turner I mean couldn't score a run in his first four games for Ashton Turner but mind you he was coming in difficult situations it was a difficult pitch at Jaipur um, and I, I think the I think it not being part of the World Cup somehow had an impact on him as well. And and Andrew Tybal, he, he was a Purple Cup winner last year, so his form had really dropped. Certainly not putting enough with the ball. I think people have started to read his slow ball, his knuckle ball. And, and the pitches were, were a lot more batting friendly, uh, especially in Mohali, where he played a lot of his games. For saw last year, they were probably slightly on the slower side, but that knuckleball really came into it. Um, pretty disappointing year for Andrew Ty, and it'll be interesting to see if, if one of the teams do pick him up or, or, or Kings Eleven Punjab retain him again for, well, in 12 months' time.
Do you think next summer we'll see a lot of Aussies going back to the IPL after a lot of Aussies didn't play because of the World Cup? Do you think we'll see the, the mass influx into the IPL again? Yeah, I think so, Menace, definitely, because, you know, there is the World T20 at home in Australia. Yes, conditions are going to be vastly dif- different, but... IPL is a great tournament to be sort of playing in um, sort of three or four months. It's going to give a good indication where the players are at. And it's it's the, the fierceness. And, you know, you get into these match scenarios where a Mitchell Stark, who hasn't played for three or four years, you know, he, he'll have to be bowling to maybe an A.B. de Villiers or a Rohit Sharma or Andre Russell. Suddenly, he's going to be in those situations a lot. We know about Warner and the likes of Steve Smith and some of the other bowlers as well. So I think, yeah, next year is a huge year for IPL. And I don't think there's much on the cards. Um, we've got World Cup and Ashes this time around. There's not much planned sort of after sort of that April and May. So I'm I, I'm expecting a lot of the players, I mean, from Aaron Fringe to, you know, Adam Zampa, Maxi. everyone. Uh, to be, Yeah, I think next year's IPL is going to be massive. Uh, minutes. It's gonna, that's why they want you here as well to covering all six weeks. Cannot wait. All right, Gab, before <laughs> I let you go, I just want to get your thoughts on uh, the World Cup especially India's chances. So, look, a couple of questions. Firstly, you know, what's the feeling like in India about their their team's chances in the World Cup? It's high expectations, Menas. I think most believe that India should be playing in the final. Uh, England are the favourites, then probably India, and then the Aussies are close sort of third, especially given the turnaround in the last two or three months. But huge expectations. I think they'll feel disappointment if they don't win the World Cup or at least if they don't make the World Cup final. And you know how the Indian public is. I mean, this, they feel, is the year... Uh, the top three, a very experienced team, probably the most experienced team in terms of setup. Uh, we've got gone to the World Cup, so that that's huge for them. And, and the public demand victory. It has been eight years. It was a disappointing World Cup four years ago. Lost to Australia in the semi-final. You know, Virat Kohli at the peak of his powers. Jasprit Bumrah, arguably the best fast bowler going around. Two wrist spinners. Dhoni, can he sign off on a on a high? Uh, look, everything's gone to their favour. It's going to be a, a dry summer they're predicting in England. Uh, so the expectations are huge. And, and, and people in India genuinely believe that India can bring the trophy home. And my feeling is that, that if India get batting first on wickets that have got a bit of movement in them, a bit of swing or a bit of seam, that's where India will be vulnerable in, in English conditions in the morning, a lot of 10.30 starts. Where do you think India could go wrong? Yeah, that's a good point, man. As I, if India fancy, as you rightfully said, you know, fancy chasing down turtles. That's where their strengths are. Um, and yeah, early starts. But I, I mean, I'll be very surprised if we get a lot of sea movement. I mean, just looking at sort of what time the sun rises, it's nearly 5 a.m. So going to have five and a half hours of sun, uh, unless it's like a very damp morning but you're right I mean but you've still got sort of if you look at their champions trophy record going back 2013 and 2017 both times in England uh, and they were ma- well one of them they managed to win in 13 and 17 they sort of got there to the final so their record's exceptional in England especially in those ICC trophies especially in the last two or four years so I think that works in their favor I think their big weakness is probably I don't think they have that much depth. I mean, Hardik Pandya is exceptional at number seven, uh, but eight, nine, ten. I mean, you, we've seen that 
just in recent times, the England-Pakistan series is so high scoring. And you still need someone at number eight who can contribute even at sort of a you know 12 ball 20. I don't know if India have that. Um, and the other concern is at number four. I mean, they just don't have any options. I mean, they've got Vijay Shankar, um, who's, a, who's an all-rounder. Um, so I think they're clutching at straws slightly there. If they're sort of two for 20 early on, you don't know who's going to, bat at number four. I think they're the real worries for India. If they lose two wickets early, who comes in? And the lack of depth down the bottom. I think their bowling's in terms of all round um, with Boomer and Shami and the wrist spinners, I think it's pretty much right up there with the best. And the top three is are as good as anyone. I mean, Shikha Dawan, Rohit Sharma, well, we're at Kali, we know how good he is. So I think there's still questions about their sort of their middle order and the lack of depth. But look, all around a very good team. I'll be very surprised if they don't make it to the World Cup final. One thing that India will have is a fanatical band of supporters in England going to all the games. And Gav, I believe you're doing something uh, interesting for this World Cup. Yeah, man. As well, uh, I'm certainly going over there, and uh, another journalist, um, Barrett Sundaresan. If you've, your podcast guys might have heard him, he wrote this beautiful story on Patrick Patterson. Found him after he was missing for nearly thirty odd years, but. Yeah, we're actually going to be traveling around England for five weeks during the World Cup in a camper van or a motorhome. So we're going to be sort of motoring to different country towns to sort of county grounds and, and you know, the Oval to Old Trafford. And we're going to have, you know, a few little videos and have some different players and have all the updates from different vantage points all across England. So looking forward to it. Five weeks in a camper van. I'd, I'd never done that before, Menas, but hey, the World Cup... Uh, brings out you know something different in all of us it's a good warm-up for our camper van in the at the ipl next year <laughs> so gav just quickly before i let you go what's your uh, twitter handle my twitter handle is at gampa underscore cricket and we're also going to have a youtube channel it's called cricket on wheels well listeners Get ready for that. It is going to be interesting to see how Gav and Barrett do in a a van together for five weeks. Well, Gav, thanks for uh, coming on the show all the way from Mumbai and giving us an Indian cricket update. Thanks, Menas, for having me on, and I'm looking forward to the World Cup and hopefully speaking to you maybe from from the camper van. Definitely. We'll add a video element to that for sure so I can see what the inside of the van looks like. Well, listeners... That's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. As I said, throughout the week, uh, there'll be some bite-sized morsels. Next up should be some Australian cricket greats talking about the World Cup. So that's to come. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. You can find me on Twitter at amenners, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. And I'll be back soon with another podcast. Podcast Network.